Good morning, everyone. Uh, this is uh, Communion Sunday. Today we're going to do things a little bit different. Uh, we're going to change it up a little bit. We're going to be taking communion at the end of the service. Uh, last week, we concluded our study through the letters of Peter. One of the things that really stood out to me um, at the end of that study, in the very last chapter, and we talked about this a little bit already, but it was Peter's passion. Um, he knew that the end was near, and he knew what that meant. Christians around that time were being captured, tormented, and killed. And he knew he was going to be one of those. Christians, um, Christians were discovered, they were found out, you know, and I think about how, how were they discovered? How were they found to be Christians? And when I, I think about it, I have to imagine that it's because they talked about God, they told people about God regardless of the risk. So Peter, knowing what he knew, he wrote this letter, and, and I imagine he gave it to a carrier who took it out to another church, knowing that if this carrier was captured and this letter discovered that the carrier and the letter may have been used to locate him and incriminate him. Many Christians during this time may have thought that, you know, maybe I want to hide this light that Jesus gave me. I don't want to be found out. But Peter was passionate about Christ. He was passionate about Jesus' body of the church, and he was passionate about the hope that he had, and he wanted to share it with the world. This passion that Peter had required a lot of sacrifice, as well as suffering as he endured being arrested, imprisoned, flogged. And as we know from history, he eventually did end up giving his life for his faith. Peter had passion. He was enthusiastic about his faith. Um, passion for Christ was seen in the very beginning of his ministry. Um, we see on the day that the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit, that he, he went out and he preached to a crowd that was mocking them, um, saying that they were drunk. And, in, and he stepped forward, no message prepared, and began to preach passionately to the people. And he said, Listen carefully, all of you, Jews and residents of Jerusalem. And then he told them what the Holy Spirit was doing. He said, people of Israel, listen. And he told them how Jesus is the Messiah. And he said, dear brothers and sisters, think about this. And he explained how the resurrection and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit proved that Jesus is who he claimed to be. And then... In Acts 2.37, it says, Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And that day, about 3,000 people repented of their sins and were baptized. Peter was passionate about Christ. Peter's passion followed him all the way to his death, and remaining faithful to Jesus all the way to the end, not only did he not deny him, but he didn't consider himself even worthy of dying in the same manner and requested to be crucified upside down. He was passionate for Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just uh, come to you desiring that you would speak to us, Lord, that, uh, that you would pierce our hearts with your words that you would stir up in us 
the same type of passion, the same type of love and longing that Peter had for you. Lord, we, we pray that you would speak that into our hearts through your Holy Spirit today as we dig into your word and as we continue in communion and in worship. I know as Midwesterners, sometimes we're a little bit more reserved people than people from other parts of the country. But that doesn't mean that we're not passionate. Being passionate doesn't always mean jumping up and down and yelling like a fan at a football game with half of his face blue and half of his face yellow. Um, sometimes passion might be displayed in somebody who's passionate about research, buried in a, in a room by themselves studying through meals um, because he's so engrossed in his study. In fact, I would argue that this second person probably displays more passion than the first. The other person might just really like to watch football, but if he knew that he was going to miss a meal and be hungry during the whole game, he may have never showed up. There's some words that have kind of lost their oomph um, as they're being kind of overused in our culture. Now, there's a comedian named Tim Hawkins. I don't know if any of you have seen this, but he does a bit kind of on this overplay of words, and he talks about, uh, one of the words he talks about is unbelievable, how people use unbelievable for things that are quite believable. Um, one example I thought of is, is when we see a football player make a great catch. It's amazing, but we've seen lots of great catches. It's not unbelievable. It's a professional football player. Uh, a hole-in-one in golf. It doesn't happen very often, but it's not really unbelievable. Um, and uh, your child stepping over a pile of clothes that you told them to bring to their bedroom as if they didn't even see it was there. I mean, it might seem unbelievable at first, but once you've experienced it enough times, you realize it's not really unbelievable. <laughs> he also talks about the phrase, that's the worst. You know, like if you get a a paper cut or step in, in gum, somebody might empathize with you saying, oh, isn't that the worst? Even though, obviously, a paper cut or stepping in gum is far from the worst thing that could happen to you. Um, this isn't exactly how the bit goes, uh, but uh, I, might, I might even put the link on Facebook if you guys want to look for it there, but it's, it's hilarious. But anyway, passion, I think, is one of those words that has become overused or misused. Uh, I looked on, uh, I found on, on uh, a website called Indeed, which is like a career finder um, website, gives you different tips uh, for finding a job. Um, it gives 70 examples of things that you could be passionate about. Uh, presumably, these are things you'd stick in your resume as kind of to show your new employer that you have passion. Um, some of the things were things that you might expect, like sports, physical fitness, relationships, different types of charity work. But then there were some that were a little strange to me. And so I, I want you to forgive me in advance if any of these are your passions. But to me, it seemed like a little bit of a stretch. On the list, they had donating blood. Now, I've donated blood. I, I think it's a good thing to do. I don't know if I feel like passionate is the right word for it, though. I don't know. Picking up trash in parks. Um, relaxation. Now, I think that's a dangerous one. If you are too passionate about relaxing, that could have some negative consequences. Uh, receiving a massage at a spa kind of falls into that, that category. Um, identifying long and short-term goals is a passion. Um, it's, and then uh, the last 
the last thing I thought was really funny. It said, accepting helpful advice from others. I mean, most people struggle to that. It's a good thing, but I don't know anybody who's passionate about receiving advice from others. Um, now, the reason why these are listed as passions on this website is because the, their definition of passion is different than what mine is. It says their passion on their website said it is a value that holds significant meaning. So whatever significant is. Or an activity you enjoy doing. And that's their definition of passion. And I believe that this is a common definition. Um, as I studied this week, I found a motivational speaker that had a very similar definition uh, definition of passion in his life until he came across an author that showed him this definition, which is a willingness to suffer for what you love. A willingness to suffer for what you love. His article goes on to say, the most famous example of this being the passion of Jesus. This definition has changed my perspective on passion. I no longer use it to describe something that I feel strongly about or that excites me. I use it to describe an activity, goal, or cause that I care so much about that I am willing to suffer for it. This new standard makes it easier to discern whether something is truly my passion or simply a strong interest. As Christians, when we think about passion, Jesus is not just the most famous example. He is our primary example of what passion is. He showed us what passion truly is. Uh, Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8, says, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Passion for something or someone is sacrificing, is being willing to sacrifice for them. And how passionate you are determines how much you are willing to sacrifice. Jesus laid it all down. And being God, he had more to lay down than what we have to lay down. It said in this verse that, he, that God became man. Um, that's a sacrifice sometimes I think we forget. He surrendered his divine privileges you may have seen in a movie at some point where there's a, a prince or something that, uh, that goes and lives as a commoner for a period of time. That example doesn't even scratch the surface of God going from glory to becoming a baby son of a first century carpenter. Then to top this all up, off, he came here to bring salvation and the people that he came to save rejected him and hung him on a cross. And then, I don't know, and this is where his passion comes in. None of this was a surprise to him. He knew what to expect, but because of his great love, because of his passion for us, he came anyway. He came anyway. 
As we think about passion, um, I thought about how it is not, it's not on one of those big character lists or lists of virtue that we find in the Bible. It's not listed among the fruits of the Spirit. It's not in that list that we went through in Second Peter. We talked about building on the foundation of faith and adding moral excellence and knowledge and self-control and patient endurance and godliness and brotherly affection and love for one another. Passion wasn't in that list. Passion is not necessarily one of the virtues, but instead is how we pursue those virtues. If we look at the verses before and after that list in 2 Peter, it says to make every effort to work hard at growing in your faith. I know we, we expounded on that as we went through it. Um, in Galatians, when we look at where the fruits of the Spirit are found, the, the verse that follows, uh, Galatians 2.24, says those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Passion is displayed in sacrificing for what or who we are passionate about, even putting to death passions that conflict with the passion that is most important to us. Now, there's a difference between being passionate about activity and being passionate for a person. When you're passionate about a person, even small things um, that maybe would normally seem insignificant can gain significance. I was thinking about this uh, in my relationship with, with Tanya. There's times where, um, you know, she's tired, had a long day, and she's made supper, and I look at the kitchen, and I see there's things that she's going to need to clean up. And I know that if if I don't do them, she's going to. And even though I don't want to, because I'm probably tired too, and cleaning isn't really that much fun. Um, <laughs> and so even though I don't want to do it, I can take joy in it because I'm doing it for her, because I'm doing it because I'm passionate about her. Um, I'm willing to sacrifice for her. Now, it doesn't maybe seem like a big sacrifice. It's just a, a little thing. But because it's done for her, it's no longer a chore it's an expression of love. Passion, like I mentioned before, isn't always a loud jumping up and down. Sometimes it's truly lived out in just the little things. Um, in a picture of the final judgment that, uh, that Jesus gives us in Matthew 25, um, it says this. It says, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All of the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing. 
when did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Colossians 3.23 says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than people. When we do as unto the Lord, even a little thing like giving a thirsty person a drink of water is something that we can do that displays our passion for Jesus. Jesus sees those tiny little things where you went out of your way to serve, not because it was a a big deal, but because it was something that you knew that he wanted you to do, because you knew that it would please him. You knew it was something that Jesus would do if he was there. A weird example from my my own life uh, sounds maybe a little bit silly, but I was working up in the UP as a as a part time youth leader, and I was working also at a Hardee's. And when I was working at the Hardee's, I was walking around the outside of the building, and I was cleaning up garbage and stuff that was around the perimeter. And I saw a cup laying across the parking lot, and I was just going to leave it there. It wasn't, it wasn't in the area that was really defined that I was supposed to clean up. It's a little bit in the outskirts. Easy for me to just have not seen it. Um, but I had the thought in my head that God was watching me and it would please him if I did my best. And so I went and picked up the cup. Uh, passion is sometimes expressed in some things that just would seem kind of trivial or kind of meaningless. But when we do it for somebody that we're passionate about, all of a sudden now it's an act of love. Uh, Hebrews 6, 10 says, this is actually 10 through 12, for God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers as you still do. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. Uh, sometimes I feel like uh, I'm a gear in God's kingdom machine. A, a picture of a gear here. I don't always know exactly uh, why I am where I am. I don't know why I have the characteristics that I have or even why I have some of the, the thoughts that I have in my mind. But when I see God begin to cause things to happen, not in spite of my unique shape, but because of it, it is about the coolest thing ever. Sometimes we don't get how, how we might function, given, you know, we think I look almost broken. When you see the, the missing part in that gear, it's like, how is this even going to work? But when we see God take the unique shape that he made us in and use it, it just shows to us that Christ had a purpose. God had a purpose in how he made us. He makes our identity in Christ become so visible. Um, and, it, and when we really, really see it, we understand that he had a purpose 
for us. He has a place for us. He has, he has something that he wants us to do where we're at, wherever we've been placed. It's, this is not just a story uh, about, about somebody who's maybe called into some sort of ministry or something. This is a story for everyone. This is a story for a mother or father that's raising a child. This is a story for grandparents that are encouraging their, their children and their grandchildren. This is for those who work a nine-to-five job or six-to-six or have been retired for 10 years. Whether you work in an office, a production facility, dairy farm, God has you where you are for a purpose, and he shaped you in a particular way for a purpose um, so that you can impact someone around you some way, somehow, but when we, when we live a life, um, we have to live life with passion. Um, we have to live it with enthusiasm. If you're not serving God with passion, it's like being a gear that's not quite in place. Um, so it's like, I imagine it like a spring that's holding the gear meshed together. If, if you don't have passion, you kind of slip out of place. The force that God has the power that he has is still there and operating, but you, if you aren't engaged in it, then it's not transferred to create some sort of action, to accomplish some sort of a goal, to, to make um, something positive happen. We have to walk in passion if we want to accomplish what God wants us to do in the place where he's placed us. Looking back at verse 11, it says, our great desire is that we will keep on loving others as long as life lasts. As long as life lasts. It's a long time, hopefully. Um, we don't want to become spiritually dull or indifferent. We don't want to just kind of become complacent over time. It is easy to lose our passion, to become uh, comfortable where we're at. John wrote this message uh, it was a message from Jesus to the church at Ephesus. It says in Revelations 2, verses 2 through 4, um, I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have, you have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches." And ask the worship team to come up. This was not a bad group of people. This, uh, this wasn't a bad, they, they didn't have, a, they weren't walking an evil life. Um, he said that they were very good, moral, doctrinally sound people. He didn't even say that he didn't love, that they didn't love him. It just said that you don't love me or others like you did at first. So the question is, is, do we still love Jesus like we did at first? Do we have a passion for him? 
Jesus gives uh, his, a definition of passion, another definition. It, when we look at Mark 12, and this is a, a verse we're all very familiar with, looking at uh, verses 29 through 31, it says, Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Again, this is Jesus saying the most important commandment. It says, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. And if you look at uh, Matthew's version of this, at the, at the end it actually says, on this depends the law, all the law and the prophets. Passion is loving with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and all of our strength. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a, that's a hard thing to, to stay at the max of indefinitely, to just keep on running, you know, a sprint all the time. But we're, we're, that's what we're supposed to pursue. That's the way that we're supposed to pursue with all of our strength. Even a sprinter sprints until he runs out of energy, but he's giving his all. You know, it doesn't mean that you, that you sprint forever. Eventually you'll fall down. But we give all that we have, all the energy that we have, we give. So this new life in Christ is not about achieving a certain goal or accomplishment and then just kind of chilling out. But that's kind of human nature to kind of want to do that. We get to a place in our walk with God where it kind of just feels comfortable. And then we find ourselves, we find our foot kind of just kind of relaxing off the gas pedal. We're still following God, but maybe it's not with the same passion that we once were. God's desire and his command for us is that we would passionately love him all of the days of our life. When we do that, we can find joy in the little things. It shouldn't sound like a chore. It, shouldn't, it isn't a chore. When we're, it doesn't mean that we focus on there's a lot of work ahead of us. The focus is that in everything that we do, we can take the things that were choice, chores and they can become joys. We can find joy in the little things in life that would otherwise seem trivial or meaningless, like walking all the way across the parking lot to pick up a piece of trash. So what do you do when you've lost something that you, that you once had? How do you go about finding it? You go back to the last place you saw it. If you run out of something that you had, like if your refrigerator is out of food, you go to the store and you get some more food. If your car runs out of gas, you go back to the gas station. If you're running low on passion for Jesus, go to the place where you first saw what true passion is, the cross. Scott, I noticed I don't have a communion cup. Would you mind? Thank you. I'm going to need that in a minute. The cross... The cross is the place where we first became passionate about him because he was first passionate about us. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is referred to as the passion of Christ. It's the culmination of a sacrifice that truly began when in, we saw in Philippians that he gave up his divine privileges and was born in a human body. But today we're remembering 
his crucifixion where his body was broken and his blood was shed. We also remember that he had a choice. And it was because of the joy awaiting him that he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Jesus' passionate love displayed for us on the cross as he died for our sins is also our motivation to pursue him with the same type of passion that he pursued us. In the, it is a, in the face of this display of passion that we have to ask ourselves, what is our definition of passion? Are we following Jesus with a passion that is a willingness to suffer for someone that we love, or is he simply a strong interest? Have we lost a little bit of the passion that we had when we first received his passionate love and forgiveness, redemption, sonship, and eternal life? So I'd like us to take a moment and consider that as we stand and we prepare our hearts to join in communion. Lord, today we remember, Lord, we remember that you knowing what you were going to sacrifice, knowing what you were going to suffer, looked at us and chose to come anyways. You loved us enough to lay down glory in heaven and to come to earth and die a criminal's death, to have your body broken, to have your blood shed for us. Lord, today, we ask that you would help us in the face of the passion that you displayed for us, that, Lord, we would have our passion for you reignited, that we would view you in the same way that you viewed us, taking joy in suffering in whatever way we know will bring you joy. Lord, it's in remembrance of you giving your all that today we remember and we submit to you our all. Lord, I just pray that your spirit would be among us, that you'd speak to our hearts as we remember. Isaiah 53, 9 through 11 says, He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and to cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants and will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied, and because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear the sins, bear all their sins. The Lord, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, 
he also took the cup. After supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Here's another definition of passion that came to me as I was preparing. Love turned all the way up. Love turned all the way up. Especially when I was younger, when a song came on the radio that I really liked, I would turn the radio all the way up. Sometimes if I was driving through town, I would roll down the windows so that everybody else can enjoy this great song. Yes, I was that guy. <laughs> we all love people, but we love them to different degrees. We have a general love for humanity, but we don't love them the same as we do our friends. We have a love for our friends, but we don't love them the same as we do our children or our parents. We have a love for our parents, but it's not quite to the same level that we have for our wife. And we have a love for our wife, but that's not at the same level that we have for our God. God is our most passionate love. It is our love turned all the way up, windows down, so proud of how awesome he is, and we want the people around us to hear it, whether or not it makes them shake their heads or not. It is that kind of passion that I want to have for God. It is that kind of passion that we should be striving towards. So as we sing this song again, I want to give a, an opportunity for us in a small way to stir up our passion in Jesus again. As we read in Revelation, Jesus called the Ephesians to repent, not just for turning, not, not because they were turning away, but because they just weren't following him with the passion that they had in the beginning. So as we sing, if you feel like your passion level isn't where it once was, that you've maybe become comfortable, your foot's relaxed a little bit on the gas, your faith walk has kind of been on cruise control, and you desire to have your passion reignited with a definition of of it turned all the way up or with a, a willingness to sacrifice for the one that you love, I just want to invite you to come to the altar in worship and in prayer. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for your passion displayed for us. Lord, we thank you that you did not consider your position, Lord, but you were willing to lay it down. You were willing to lay down your glory to step out of heaven, step out of perfection, to step into a world that was broken, a world that was going to persecute you, Lord, and you're willing to come and die in our place, paying for our sin. Lord, we, we can't even fully grasp or fathom what that means to come from glory and to come to sacrificing for us, Lord. But but the fact that you would do that, the fact that you would do that because of me, because you didn't want to leave me in my sin. Lord, you didn't want to let me spend eternity separated from you. You didn't want me to have to pay the penalty that would be eternal separation, that would be eternal judgment in hell, Lord God. You had compassion on me and you displayed your passion for us. Lord, let us get a 
idea of that. Help it to stick in our heads in a way that we are able to reflect that back to you in some way, some shape, some form, Lord, that we can bring glory to you in all that we do, Lord, doing all things as unto the Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. Peter told us over and over to remember and to be reminded. Paul told Timothy to remember. Today there's three things that I want you to remember. One, Jesus loved us enough to become a man and die for us. Two, we're not just saved from something, we're saved to something. We are a new creation. We have a mission. We have eternal life. We're saved to something. And God is still on the throne, and that means that God is in control. He has a plan, and that plan includes you. And you, we, the church, are on the winning team. We're on the winning team. Sometimes we look around and it maybe doesn't feel that way. If you've ever seen a blowout football game, especially at the end, and you look at the sidelines and you see on one side there's a team that's heads are down and dejected and sad. On the other team, you see energy and excitement and jumping and maybe just sitting back relaxing with a big smile on their face because they know the game is won. We are on the winning team. When we look around and we look at the scoreboard, maybe it doesn't look like we're winning, but we're looking at the wrong scoreboard. We're forgetting to look up. When we look up, we see that God had a secret weapon, that God won the victory and Jesus is already on the throne and that waiting for us is a crown of victory and our name is written as victorious in the Lamb's book of life. Church, we are not on the losing team. So lift up your heads, celebrate with passion Jesus. Proclaim Jesus with passion and live with passion for Jesus, doing all things as unto the Lord. When we leave here today, let's not go out into the world the same way we came in. Let's go out hungering after Jesus, devouring his word, planting it in our hearts as seeds that would grow and flourish, praying that the Holy Spirit would empower us to take the things that he's taught us into the world with passion, with love for him and for others that we might see glory brought to God and, and souls saved. Amen? Amen. Go and experience the passion of God and express it to the world. Amen.